for listening to another episode of House of Nako. Here are some of my reflections from last night's first presidential debate of 2020. And I say those words very hesitantly (laughs) to say, and with air quotes, presidential, and also the words debate, because there was nothing presidential that went down, and there was no debating. So that's why it's hard to even call it that. What can you call it? The circus. Mudslinging. Uh, freak show. I mean, it just was... If you were not from this country, even though what goes down in the United States, just like what goes down in any other country, affects... Because we're all connected regardless whether it's on the local, whether it's on the national, or whether it's on the global, okay? But I could see being far removed, or if you're not an American citizen and you don't have to actually make a decision and cast a vote, how you could see it as entertainment. But, and probably those of us who live here found it to be entertaining. I saw a poll where, I think it was a CNN poll, where at least like 30% of people polled found it to be entertaining. So I guess it's regardless <laughs> or it's irrelevant where, where you're situated, whether inside the U.S. or out. But to me, yes, on I can see from their level or from that 30% level where it was entertaining if I wasn't looking at this whole thing as really a statement on where this country is and that is sad and there's nothing entertaining about it man so let's get into it y'all let's get into it let's start off with the moderator chris wallace i can't tell you a lot about his work because he's primarily been on as far as his television journalism is concerned, and I haven't Wikipedia'd him, it's not necessary, but from the bulk of what I know Chris Wallace is that he's been a Fox News commentator. So number one, I'm not familiar with all of that because I rarely tune into Fox News like that. And the other really important thing I know about Chris Wallace, like many, who have the opportunity to be on television. He is the child of nepotism. His father, Mike Wallace, is one of the original 60 Minutes men. And I think Mr. Wallace is still alive. He must be in his, because Chris Wallace looks like he's 60. So dang, Mike Wallace, are you 125? But I think he's still alive, God bless him. And so when you have that sort of uh, nepotism working in your favor, yet uh, to me, it's really hard to even make a distinction. Like, is this person actually really good at what they have been, what they are currently doing because they've been placed there rather than somebody who has 
truly worked hard, pulled themselves up through the ranks, didn't have anybody giving them a helping hand. To me, I respect that more. So let's just say that those things about Chris Wallace. That being said, just to let you know, I'm not some fan of Chris Wallace that I'm like, yeah, there's a lot of people dissing him online, dissing him on television, saying he did a horrible job and it was all his fault. There is no way from from my perspective, what I watched, that you could blame Chris Wallace, the moderator, for the madness that ensued between those two men. The only people you can blame are Joe Biden and Donald J. Trump. Those are the two people. Chris Wallace, to me, did the best job that he could have possibly done without getting so out of character where it would have had to cut, they would have had to cut the feed if Chris Wallace, if you really wanted him to handle those two men. Because the way I saw it, it was like two petulant, very spoiled children having a fight at, you know, a Chuck E. Cheese birthday celebration. And one of the parents has to come in, or maybe two of the parents or three of the parents have to come in and pull them apart. Which goes to another point that the lack of commercial break, I don't know whose call that was. I do believe, yes, my mind is always thinking in a conspiracy way. That's right. If you listen to this podcast, you know. But I often believe that is how human beings are. They like to plot. They like to hatch a plan. That is just the way I have observed human nature to be. So it's not that crazy for people to be like, oh, okay, let's figure out a way how we can. So I honestly, because as much as I've been watching debates, which has been many years, I've been politically interested and active. So I've watched a couple of these and I know a lot of you listening have watched too. When has there not been a commercial break? When has there not been? When has there not been a sponsor that's wanted to, you know, put some money behind this and get their commercial in or big pharma wanting to sell you something for restless restless leg syndrome or something? Like, come on, no commercial breaks for 90 minutes. I I think, how can we sit there and try to put blame on this moderator? He didn't have any commercial time, not even like two minutes to just catch a breath and tell the handlers of the president and of Joe Biden that they need to get their act together, that this isn't cute and that he's going to lose it if they all don't like. There wasn't an opportunity for that. And I believe that it was on purpose. I do believe that that was done in order to fan the flames of what they knew was already going to be a very heat. It wasn't even heated. It was just ridiculous, redonkulous, the sort of like circus type of atmosphere that would eventually exhaust people. I felt exhausted. Many people were throwing around the term PTSD. I don't think people should joke around around about that, actually, but many people do. I saw it in a lot of commentary <laughs> after the debate, and uh, that word was thrown around, but I understand where people are coming from because I, watching it, became mentally exhausted as well. Watching people act like that isn't something you might think it's entertaining in the beginning, but it does get to be exhausting. I had to pull myself away and I went to brush my teeth and went to do something else just to break it up. And honestly, 
I finished watching it, I had to get in the bed and put my cover on, make myself feel safe and warm because it was just, it was too much. It was too much. So yes, finishing off with Chris Wallace, I really think from what he was given, I don't believe, at first I was going to, my critique of him was going to be mostly from the questions because he stated, I came up with these questions and I found them and nobody has seen them, which retrospectively, now I have to think that that's not the case. There is just no way possible that Chris Wallace was the only one who saw those questions before the air, the show aired. Like that's just not the way the system works. People looked at them. Who even knew if they both got copies of the question? I mean, nobody, people would have called, said to me, oh, that's, no, that would never happen. But we know that that's happened. We know it because someone has admitted to doing it in a presidential debate that happened on CNN, Donna Brazil, Donna Brazil, Donna Brazil snuck the questions to Hillary. So it's not impossible. It has happened. It has happened way many times before that. They've been doing these debates since the 60s. The first one was between Kennedy and Nixon. And the most drama that happened during that debate was that Nixon could not, he was just so nervous to go against. Kennedy was calm, cool, and collected. Nixon, you you could see him sweating, you see him grabbing for the water, stuttering, and that's probably what lost him. (laughs) Along with the fact that he was horrible, but that's, that's what lost him the election to this bright Camelot Kennedy. Anyway, I digress. So since the 60s, these things have been going on. So for you to think there has not been corruption within a debate, I think is a naive thing to think. So yeah, I can't even critique uh, Mr. Wallace on the questions because even if he came up with a general framework, he was definitely told how to say them. Oh no, don't ask this, ask this and ask that. So we can't critique him on that. And uh, I believe it was Tim Black, shout out to the Tim Black Show. He made the statement in his reflection that it was only probably Samuel L. Jackson and John Travolta in the movie Pulp Fiction when they were having their guns cocked is the only thing that would have made these two men act professionally. I heard another comment say this morning that the even if The Rock was doing something, that, that he couldn't have been able to wrangle these men unless they were physically afraid something was going to happen to them. So, yeah, my boy Chris, you know, I, I think any other moderator would have, that same performance would have come out or probably even worse. I mean, he had to put a little bit of bass in his voice, but you could see even after he did it, he he was trembling. His voice was shaky. I thought at one point, I was like, when is the commercial coming so he can cry and like cry in peace and not be embarrassed in front of us? So anyway, let's move on to these candidates. What? 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 Okay, the candidates. The current president, 45, as I like to refer to him. It's really hard. I can't even say anything about a performance of the debate because there was no debating. No debate. 
that came from either one of these jokers. Seriously. I... It was like right out of the gate. There wasn't even a pause or a minute. It was like you could tell right from when Trump answered, quote unquote, answered his first question, that he was angry. He was going to come at this swinging, like it was not going to be anything professional at all. And we saw that with his debates with Hillary Clinton. I recently just watched a clip of Uh, one of these debates. It's like I had forgotten about uh, the debates between those two and how intense they really got. Like, Trump did not let up on Hillary. He was interrupting her left and right. Chris Wallace debated one of, I mean, moderated one of those debates as well with other moderators, which I definitely feel needed to happen. If you're going to do a 90-minute no commercial type of situation. You need to have more than one person. I don't think that that's fair to him. It's not, I mean, and who really cares about Chris Wallace? But I'm saying it's not a fair situation on any scale of the actual event. But more importantly, that's not fair to us because we are the ones this is supposed to be for. We, the people. So, man, what a just miscarriage of justice and everything that that this presidential debate air quotes was so getting back to 45 so back in the those uh debates against uh madam secretary clinton he was harsh cutthroat interrupted called her names lock her up all of that came however there was also a very clear message that was uh, a part of the Trump campaign, that he wanted to drain the swamp, he wanted to end the corruption, that Clinton is an oligarch, and look at the way her and her donors, Soros, he called out, he called out the media as being like at her her uh, disposal, and I am gonna be the guy that's going to get rid of that and be more for the people because these people have been uh, playing around too long and being corrupt for too long. That's a obvious, um, it's a, uh, my interpretation of what <laughs> uh, Trump ran on, but that's pretty much, he had a, uh, he had a message, message. And if we remember when some of these people could actually reflect on the fact that Clinton lost, these people meaning people in the media who were showing us all these polls and saying, oh, Clinton's ahead by this point in Ohio and she's going to take Michigan and it's going to be... Those people, when they could actually reflect and look at possibly what Clinton could have done that was wrong. And there weren't too many people. And there still aren't. They will still want to blame Bernie. They want to blame uh, the weather. They want to blame everything else but the weak sauce candidate that was Clinton and her lack of message. Her message was, I'm with her. That was it. Or that I am not as bad as Donald. Like, yeah, I may have my faults, but I'm not Donald Trump. That's not a message. And that did not resonate with anyone. And the people who in media 
who, and that was mostly independent media, who were brave enough to say that, I believe also the Trump campaign had to have known that that was one of Hillary's weak points, which is why they made their messaging simple and strong. And that's what helped him to win. So the fact that he's going in now with no message and was all over the place is just very interesting. I don't know if his advisors have changed. They probably have. He's probably fired all of them who helped him win the first time. So I have no idea what strategy he was really playing. I heard uh, this afternoon as I watched... um, Jordan's reactions from Status Q. Shout out to those guys. And um, Jordan had a hypothesis or belief that this was a strategy on Trump's part, his whole erratic kind of uh, boxing match uh, cloud that was put over the whole thing coming from him was strategic in... In, in the sense of knowing that he was down in the polls and believing that he was not going to win. So the only way to try to salvage that or try to uh, uh, change the course is to fill people with so much apathy and disgust that they just want to walk away from the whole um, situation. They, he wanted to agitate Biden and that's why I kept interrupting him. He's been watching and been commenting on how he thinks Biden's sleepy. He thinks he's cognitive in cognitive decline. He said that more than once, like on several occasions. People even knew before the debate started, we heard, if you watched it on ABC, there was a commentator who basically laid it out for us, who said that um, Trump is going to be aggressive. He's going to go after Biden personally. He's going to go after his family. And Biden's response is going to be cool, calm and collected. He's going to be this. So what they it's like they already knew how this was going to go down. So I think Jordan's. Uh, assessment that this was planned and the goal was to just uh, agitate the voters so much that apathy will ensue and less people will want to participate in the voting process. And he has said, meaning Trump, and the facts do show that when more people vote, it generally does go in a Democratic favor rather than Republican. So it's in his best interest if he is going to want to win this thing for less people to show up at the polls. So that is uh, probably a hypothesis that other people hold as well. But, I mean, we shall see if there is the second debate, which is already scheduled, so unless something cataclysmic happens, it's still going to take place. So we'll see how the next debate goes. Uh, (laughs) The next debate goes. All right, so now switching to the next candidate. (laughs) It's just so painful to even talk about. And we touched on Biden as, as well, um in my critique of Trump, but anyway, okay. Here goes nothing. Here's the critique on Biden. 
Okay. So I think there's a lot to be said and it's nothing that you should feel good about. But there were many, many people, myself included, who, who, when we saw Biden for the first couple of minutes, were just relieved that he did not have a complete meltdown. And so that means the bar is set so incredibly low that you are just thinking that someone did a great job because they did not self-implode. Like there's something very wrong with that. Like if the bar is set that low, this person is not even fit to be a candidate. That's what I think, number one. But I do feel like from just listening to the online chatter and seeing what several Uh, groups of people were saying on different platforms that they were just like, oh, thank God he didn't like fall down, basically, which is crazy for the bar to be set that low. That being aside, I don't think either candidate answered any of the questions that were set forth from them, which generally happens in the debate, but not like this. They literally went anywhere that they wanted to. And with Chris Wallace's blessing, if I do have to give Chris a critique, it was, he was so flustered. He probably didn't even know what he was saying, but he was like, okay, you both are going to have two, two moments, two, two minutes. I mean, two minutes in time where you'll get to say, and if you don't want to answer the question, that's okay. Like he basically said that, which is ridiculous. But anyway, we understand, Chris, you were flustered beyond recognition. I understand. So anyway, getting back to Biden, he didn't answer any of the questions with anything concretely, with anything of substance. It was all cliched. It was all, uh, to me, it was very, very much pandering. I don't really see the difference between... Uh, Hillary on The Breakfast Club saying she has hot sauce in her bag is is the same sort of pandering. I mean, maybe it's more racial and cultural in in nature, but for Biden to be softening his voice and trying to talk to us like all calm, like where his grandchildren gathered at his knee for story time in some instances. And when he would turn and pivot and look straight into the camera, I don't see those things as endearing. I see them as being fake and I can see it as being fake. It's being planned. I can just see the weeks that they've spent with this man teaching him these techniques. I don't see it as being real because the way Joe Biden has presented himself on the campaign trail, and we've seen clips of it, of him wanting to almost like get physical with someone who asked him a question and he doesn't like the question. <laughs> and he has done it several, several times. Go vote for someone else. You're a lion dog pony soldier. Like come here and drop and give me 20. Let's, you're too old to vote for for me. That is the Joe Biden. That's who he is. And that authenticity to me would have been better to showcase than to show us that you've been training and in preparation and you know how to quiet your voice. I know that the goal was, oh, I want to make myself seem like a professional versus Trump who's acting erratic. 
I understand that, but I truly feel like authenticity is something that we are screaming for. Everyone is being fake around us, especially with this coronavirus. We can't even get the correct information. The CDC put something on their website and then the next day take it off and, oh, just kidding, we made a mistake. We can't get straightforward answers. So I don't think that the right moves were him to try and, you know, pretend and try to make it seem like, oh, look at how different I am from him. Like just if if he has no plan, if he doesn't, which... Trump didn't offer what if he getting rid of Obamacare, what's going to be Trump care? He didn't call it anything. He didn't say, oh, he just said, oh, yeah, we of course we have an alternative that's cheaper and better. But what where is it? Where can we go read about it? He should have said, go to so and so dot com and read about my plan. There isn't a plan. But on the same token, Joe Biden didn't offer any policy plans. He did not say within the first hundred days, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. This is how all of this that we're talking about up here is going to help affect you and your families. And I can make your lives better by A, B, C, and D. This is my message. Come with me. Go to Joe 30303, whatever. Something. That's what the American people deserve. And neither the sitting president or the man who is trying to take his place gave anything concretely, did not answer the questions. And even if they had free range to say whatever they wanted to say, they didn't talk about those millions of Americans who filed for unemployment. They didn't talk about those millions of Americans who never got a stimulus check and the ones that did that 1200 they need more. They're not talking to the thousands and thousands and thousands of small business owners who tried to get loans that you said were going to come for them that they weren't even able to apply for. And even when they did, it, they never heard anything back from. I've talked to these people. This isn't just myth. This isn't just something I'm just telling you just to make the story better. I've actually had conversations with these business owners that said they didn't see a lick of money. There hasn't been any help. And even if you haven't had direct conversations with these people, there are some in local news. If you live in New York or maybe if you don't, get on Google and go and look at what some of these local business owners, what they have to say about Corona. You will hear their stories. They can't pay the rent. They can't pay the workers. And the people who are in charge are not addressing it, not on the presidential, the executive level and not on uh, any level of government, the House, the Senate. These are people that we employ and they're not trying to even address the basics. They're trying. We should be. This is a slap in our face and we should respond how people who have been slapped in the face without provocation. We didn't deserve this slap. It's not one thing like you have disrespected somebody and they turn around. You say something smart. Even I don't believe in violence in any form, but I'm just saying this is because of the analogy I'm using. Okay, so I'm saying if you disrespected someone, you've done wrong, you really grind their gears 
and you're up in their face and up in their face, if they turn around and smack you, you're not going to be shocked about where that came from. You'll feel the sting of the slap, though. (laughs) But you won't be shocked. Like, what? Why? But this was an unprovoked slap, like double slap. Like one of those slaps, like back in the Dizay, like I'm talking about Hamilton's time where they wear gloves and they take them off and they slap you on one side of the face and then turn around and slap the other, like like one of those. It was a slap in the face. This is ridiculous. So both candidates, in my opinion, people will say, oh, because Trump was so crazy by default, Biden won. I don't believe in that logic at all. Both lost. Both of them were losers. And in I don't I'm not a loser and I'm not calling anyone in the public a loser, but I'm saying that who that hurt the most was not either one of those two on the stage or Chris Wallace. Please, Chris Wallace will be good, okay? He's in that top 10, <clears throat> excuse me, at 1%. Trump, after all this, will go on and continue to be what the prophet that he's been made out to be by his supporters. He'll be just fine. And all of the Trump family. And so will Biden. This is like, what, the 16th time he's run for president? He is cool with being a loser. It's all good. He's going to live out the rest of his life in comfort and luxury. So it's not going to be, this isn't affecting them personally. This is on the public. So we need to take a minute and digest it in that way. Like, and to act on it, what what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? Man, so in closing, because I feel like you could talk, there's so many issues that come out of this whole debate that you could talk about for hours. And like I said, I really don't even like using the term debate. I'll come up with a circus for now. It was a circus show. Because there was no debating going on. There was no policies that were... um, laid out to be picked apart. It's not like he laid out a plan and Biden laid out a plan and then they were both like, well, I don't like that part of your plan. None of that took place. Uh, The last thing I do want to say is that I heard in some commentary on Status Quo, and I love that show and love what independent journalism they do, especially the investigative work, the work that they've done in Michigan on covering a lot of the corruption there on the state level, even on the federal level in in terms of the water and other issues in terms of voting, they've been great. And throughout the election, I have turned to status quo for the, the real deal to see what the boots on the ground are reporting and not these corporate corporate sponsored media outlets like CNN and MSNBC. And we're all entitled to opinions, yes. But there was an opinion shared on his recap show that I, you know, kind of took issue with. And other people took issue with it as well. And you could tell the host was getting a little hot about it, which is, I mean, that's okay. That's okay. We're here to discuss, but to be respectful 
of each other and to listen to one another. And what I heard him saying was that he personally was not going to vote for Biden because he doesn't live in a swing state, which is his business. But he was also using, and he has a platform. You know, there were 500 people listening. That's a platform. So I feel like, I mean, obviously we all, I'm using whatever platform I have, he's using what he has, but when you have a platform and when you have an audience, it's even more, you're more beholden to be able to present the facts in the most appropriate light that you can, especially being an independent news outlet. So anyway, He was saying that from his perspective, that because during the debate, Donald Trump, when he was asked to disavow white supremacy and white supremacists, he was reluctant to do it. I mean, he didn't do it. He was just like, what, 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 what's white supremacy? Like, he really just didn't want to. And the only thing that he did say was these proud boys who I'm assuming are some crazy group with um, machine guns telling them to stand by and stand down. I don't even know what type of commands he's giving these people. But yeah, that's insane. It's crazy. And according to Status Quo, Jordan's girlfriend, I guess for a living, watches white supremacy online. That must be real taxing to do that as a living my goodness but anyway she was saying in the background that the groups online and the neo-nazis were like yeah stand by stand down yeah it's a holiday we're gonna get our ak-47s out Woo-hoo, racism yeah and i'm sure they were i'm sure they're like, they're like that all the time but i'm sure there was a spike yesterday okay yes they were cheersing and having their champagne actually what what do they drink like Budweiser, moonshine. That's what they, they make their own liquor. Anyway, so those people were happy and popping off. And Jordan was saying that that was the worst and that that makes, like, Trump is like this fascist. It's getting to corporate fascist, but now he's inching to real fascism. And that is way worse than Biden, who is just a neoliberal corporatist. And I mean, I took issue with that very quickly because Biden is not just a neoliberal corporatist. Like, yes, you can add that to his title, but his title's much longer. I mean, you can talk about his horrible trade, how many lives were lost in Iraq, how many of the lives that were lost when Obama and him are dropping drones all over the world. That is one thing, but the crime bill that he authored, not just signed off on it and was like, oh, yeah, this is good. I'll add my signature. The man crafted it, okay? It was his, it was like if he was a woman, he gave birth to the crime bill and gave birth to mass incarceration, which was not just, when you say mass incarceration, that's not just a whole bunch of people in jail who are behind bars. Like, yes, that is the term. But when you look at what the term has divulged and what the ramifications of this crime bill have been, if you read, I mean, if you read any excerpt of Michelle 
Alexander's The New Jim Crow. She will break that down. And interesting, ironically, (laughs) this is a segue, but it is linked. Ava DuVernay, who I just lose respect for on a daily basis whenever I hear these stories about her. I have not watched the documentary, The 13th, that she uh, made a couple years ago. It's on Netflix. I've read a lot about it. But I read today, because she has been so critical of anyone who on Twitter who uh, like she's blocked Brianna Joy Gray like who blocks this woman like you've got a problem if you're gonna block uh, this fantastic woman who was a part of the Bernie Sanders team Um, but basically she has been in this election cycle one of the corporate tools that goes out and tries to shame people into not vote blue no matter who because Trump is racist and Trump he's gonna and Trump 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 and if you don't then you're crazy and I'm gonna block you and so she has the right to do that but I bring up her documentary which is talking about the 13th amendment which basically makes uh, uh, mass incarceration equal to slavery and throughout that documentary she does not mention this crime bill and does not even talk about Joe Biden And when you look at the year that documentary was released, it was around the time that Joe Biden was probably getting ready to put his hat in the ring. And the people who give her money and fund her are like, yeah, well, we don't want to do anything that's going to bring widespread attention to our candidate, Joe. So then you're going to leave it. That is such an important part if you're going to talk about mass incarceration, the person that made it possible in this United States, and you're not going to talk about that in that documentary, then please have several seats. Like, you're a beautiful lady. I'm glad that you got your money up there with Oprah, but please don't try to dictate to us what how we should vote and who, what type of people we are if we don't do this and we don't do that. Don't try to shame me into anything when you're, when you're seriously, you can't even tell the truth. The documentary is supposed to be a version of events and truth. You're going to leave that very important part. I'm not watching that documentary and I'm glad I didn't waste my time to watch it. This is So anyway, I digress, but bringing it back. So the white supremacists who got excited, who are going to get extra ammunition to go patrol the voting polls that Trump has, um, that Trump has commanded them to do so. And if God forbid they ensue violence and end up hurting people or even killing people, And although any loss of life is horrible and we should work for that to never happen, the fact that you're going to say that those actions are worse than a bill that created into law to rip primarily black men away from their families and throw them in jail on chart, on chart, trumped up, sorry for the pun, but on trumped up charges to keep them in jail, to strip them of their right to vote, to strip other rights from them, 
and to also further perpetuate the super predator stereotype that has been labeled on black men. So fast forward to uh, Trayvon Martin, fast forward to Eric Garner, fast forward to Ahmad. uh, Gosh, I can't remember his last name, but fast forward to George Floyd, fast forward to Breonna Taylor, fast forward to all of these killings that have made the news. And that's the connection. Super predator, someone that is not a human being that I can put my knee on their neck and in eight minutes expire their life because they are prone to crime. They are prone to uh, uh, negativity. They're prone to killing. So I have to, it's us or them that I'm talking from the perspective of these bad apple cops that that Biden said yesterday. So he's still, this is the author of the crime bill. So he's not going to come out and say to defund the police. The police are a part of helping this mass incarceration. So he's not going to be you know, down for defunding. He's for it. He just said, like, let's just take care of the bad apples. Not that the whole system that I helped to create and put in is resulting in what we're seeing today. So that's what I I feel like somebody who's who has studied, if you're not of that culture, and sometimes you sometimes people within that culture don't understand. There's many I mean, look at the the attorney general of Kentucky. He's has black skin, but still was able to be a part of the whole uh, the system that uh, Breonna Taylor ended up losing her life because of. So sometimes it's not always a uh, predictor that because you are of that racial group or of that ethnic group or of that gender that you're going to automatically get it. You still have to do some critical thinking. And then when you're not of that group at all, even if you have the right intentions, you still have to undergo like that's why uh, Trump trying to cut out uh, oh, yeah. And his answer, like uh, Chris Wallace did ask him about recently Trump cut funding, federal funding for critical race theory classes. And his answer for that, when Chris asked him, why did you do that? He's like, oh, because it was like teaching people to hate America and teaching people. And I'm not going to stand for that. And it's like, well, you better come up with some examples because just saying they were teaching people to hate America doesn't sound right to me. I want to hear some examples, like how you were like, oh, there's ballots in the trash in Pennsylvania. Like, come up with some examples of what class was teaching people. He's like teaching it that it's racist and that me, me, me. I'm like, okay. I mean, that's what you're saying two different things. You're teaching that America has a racist history. Like, that's not saying that you hate America. Like, so... Tell, tell me what's going on, Mr. President. And he wasn't able to do it. He just got erratic and got mad that the question was even asked. So to me, that that's where just to put a pin for now in the whole like uh, notion that Biden is somehow a better choice because his policies are just racist. But Trump is actually calling for people to rise up with their guns and go out like 
they are the same and equally as detrimental and destructive to not just the black community, but the fabric of this country. And I would even argue that it's worse, but I won't argue that because I truly believe there really is no hierarchy of racism. You can't say that this type of racism is worse than this type of racism and medical racism or racism in science is more uh, detrimental to this group than this. It's all horrible. It all rips the fabric of society. It makes us all worse. So to say that uh, Trump is somehow because he is not changing who he he has been all his life. I truly feel like he has been this person. He has not tried to lower his voice or has not tried to look into the camera and do these little tactics. He is the uh, petulant, you know, uh, very um, just like what we saw last night. That was him on the campaign trail. That was him that he showed us in all episodes of The Apprentice and all the other shows that he's done. Every interview, wherever with Donald Trump, you have seen this very arrogant. That's the word I was looking for. Arrogant, kind of petulant, like, ah. he's always been like that and he hasn't changed. Biden, on the other hand, who, you know, which way the wind blows or what's trending is going to be what he's going to show you. Like, oh, you all care about Black Lives Matter and George Floyd. Okay, so they're going to come and open up the Democratic National Convention. And then we're going to have Jennifer Hudson sing Sam Cooke's change is going to come and I'm going to meet with the families of blah, 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 blah. You rather have all of that, just smoke and mirrors, just to make yourself feel better in the moment. But then in the background, he's like working on another crime bill. Like that's going to be better for you. I think they're both destructive, both horrible. We both need, I mean, we both need, they both need to be called out as terrible, equally, (laughs) equally terrible. That's right. And so I feel like once we come to that, like stop covering for these people and or not covering for them, but like don't be afraid to like just call it what it is so that we can look at what we're dealing with, which is that we don't want to make a choice. We do not want to choose. We don't want these candidates so that we can move forward and saying, well, if we don't want these two, then who do we want then? How do we want this to go? Because we are the 99 Let's not forget that, y'all. So we'll talk about that more in the next episode. Thanks for listening. House of Knuckles.